Just a quick introduction to episode 5 of Sullivan Street, where we continue our Banshee season tour coverage. In this episode, I finally give my review of the Banshee season tour kickoff show sponsored by SiriusXM back in early June. We also spend this time to review a classic almost 30 years ago, Cat and Crow show in Hollywood at the Whiskey A Go-Go in this episode of Sullivan Street. XM sponsored a kickoff show, I guess, of the tour um, about a week. Uh, well, we said about a week before the tour, mm-hmm. it seemed to have been thrown together fairly quickly because they announced it suddenly. Um, you got that impression too, right? Yeah, certainly there wasn't much notice and there's not always notice for things like this, but yeah, it, it did seem like there was not um Either it was thrown together quickly, or they had it very heavily under wraps. Yeah, that, so. I, I I got the feeling that that the that the management uh, Crow's management just talked to them and somehow got together. Oh, this would be this would help everybody. It would give SiriusXM some content uh, that they would have this ninety minute. Uh, I, I guess it was in the end uh, concert that they can play exclusively and get people excited. And then right, it, it would get people maybe sell some tickets right that that was the idea too that right that people promote the tour. on series of xm and promote the tour uh so they made a big deal that it was in the troubadour now mm-hmm. just a little bit of background i i don't know a lot about live venues i am not originally from la um like i said before i'm from the east coast i also uh, from philadelphia also lived in new york city a bit uh, and, and and near dc i have some connections and family connections so the Troubadour is a famous venue. I know they talked about how Elton John, I guess it was, played there or something and a few other famous acts. So I got, to, well, and, it, and it's pretty small. It fits about 500 people. And then you can imagine that people connected to Sirius XM and other friends of the band, et cetera, well, they're going to get tickets. Right. So then how many were available to the public? My guess is maybe 200 at most that's kind of was maybe 250 but at least half was probably to 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 corporate connections and band connections uh so so when i heard about this i i saw that um oh i said oh the tickets are are going to be available i i went online to try try to get them and by the way like you were talking about pre-sales when i was trying to get pre-sale uh tickets before to the la shows it it was no problem whatsoever i mean i'm sure there's some scalpers that are buying things but I was getting good seats uh, fairly easily. The Troubadour had a weird website. And I the one thing that's totally not clear to me is did I click to purchase tickets before like they went to release or a, a second after? Because I guess if you went before, it would put you into some queue mm. or at least. And then they but then someone told me they would randomize the queue. So I, I wasn't sure if I got into the queue properly or not. But what I do know is that it sold out in six minutes. I think, gosh, you know, I might have told you, I think that maybe only 140 or 50 tickets. Uh, well, that was, but you could buy up to two tickets. So, right. right, maybe there was only like 150 for sale or something like that, or 150 spots times two. Uh, yeah, and I was like number, you know, 350. So I, I wasn't even close. And I was kind of surprised. I was like, geez, I didn't know there was 
you know, 500 diehard Crows fans that are going to buy tickets within 10 minutes. Like, although I guess it could have been, but it couldn't be scalpers either. Really the way it was worked, you had to bring your ID mm. uh, if, if you were purchasing it or if a scalper yeah. went, they would have to be your date to the, uh, <laughs> to the show. That's a, that's a pretty different dating show. <laughs> yeah. So but no, it's interesting. Cause it's part of ones we forget, right. Is like um, at this band's like lowest sort of point, they've been mostly been playing like, several thousand seat theaters yes. you know over the last over their career right so they've played some small shows here and there but a 500 seat venue is it's a hot ticket it's a hot ticket for this band even at this stage you know it's which is yeah. awesome it's good to make sure that that they are still that but it's it's uh it still makes sense that's definitely that's probably the smallest venue that's smaller than any venue I've seen the whole band in in probably a solid 15 years. Unless oh, I'm I, I can't imagine them. Yeah, as I, as you said, even in there. I mean, I, I guess some of those shows that they played when they were doing Shim Sham, I don't know the capacity of those. Those are um, smaller. And the Outlaw Road Show, like, secret shows were, were smaller. But, like, the whole band, even because it's promotional stuff. And so the last time I saw anything close to that small was probably Irving Plaza for Somewhere Under Wonderland. But Irving Plaza is still, like, a thousand or so people um i think it's got to go back to when they were promoting saturday nights and sunday mornings that i saw them oh in like a, right. a full venue a full full band playing at a venue that's that's that small yeah no i think you're yeah right that 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 makes sense so so i it was funny so so i don't know when we started this podcast like you know five six weeks ago and then shortly after that i saw this and i was like well this is a sign i live near la <laughs> um I, I i can i don't know the I'm, world I'm, is I'm, telling you you need right. to go to this concert i'm full in i'm full into it but then i couldn't get tickets so i was like ah oh, geez <laughs> you know so then um someone posted on reddit that day that they had tickets available or one extra ticket and it's funny because i'm very skeptical you know i, I don't want to be, be scammed um i had a little back and forth with 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 the gentleman his name is is patrick it, it ends up that he was not even a diehard crows fan he just heard about it or got alert he's actually a really big live music fan and loves mm -hmm. that venue and oh, okay. gets notices about certain kind of concerts and something came on and he suddenly got it and was lucky in the queue and he bought a ticket for him and his wife and he said his wife is not a particular crows fan but also doesn't necessarily like general admission there you go things <laughs> because uh right you don't know where to sit or whatever and she, it was a weekday and she's like i can't be bothered but yeah i just got a good vibe and it's interesting because i met patrick and thank you so much patrick for selling me the ticket and not uh, trying to overcharge me for it. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, a shame I didn't see him uh, after. And as I said, I had to, uh, yeah, when I went in, I kind of lost them and then didn't, because I wanted to buy him a, a drink to thank him. I also wanted to Hopefully know- Hopefully he'll he, be at one of the shows in the in the, the fall that you go to. Yeah, maybe. he gave me some good suggestions, which I don't have here about some other bands to, to listen to. He's like, oh, it seems like you listen to a lot of the same stuff. I have some more modern things for you to listen to. And he actually gave some pretty good uh, suggestions to me. I, I, I forgot to reach out i did it last night i didn't hear from him i wanted to hear what he thought about the show mm. as a casual fan um so yes i went to the show there um and i it, yeah it, it did feel semi-private as i said i did get this feeling that a lot of the people there were connected to sirius or the bands and there, there was even a couple uh celebrities the other thing i was thinking i had just talked to him before uh this was that um 
uh, uh, Connor Crow's fan, Graham, who uh, hosts the Crawling Around My Brain podcast. I had just talked to him about a week before just on a Zoom about the Counting Crows. And I remember thinking, I wonder if he's going to be, oh no, I think he told me he was going to be at the show. And I said, oh, I wonder if I'll see him. And I looked to the right of me and I said, I think that's him. I only met him via <laughs> Zoom before. So it was kind of good to talk about that. And and as you, you know, whether you believe in fate or whatever, um, it was neat. And we could kind of uh, bond about, about that. Um, the one good thing about running into him was he mentioned to me that he was at this famous Italian restaurant next door. I guess they call it what a red tablecloth, you know, or the red Mm. tablecloth Italian place. And he goes, Oh, it's kind of home style, but a lot of celebrities go and it's hard to get. And then he mentioned to me, he's like, Oh, there was at least two or three celebrities there, including um, Cindy Crawford. I said, Whoa, that's cool. And uh, Bill Simmons, um, who I guess is the number one sportscaster, uh, sports uh, podcaster now uh, by salary. He goes, oh yeah, and I listen to him. He's actually a big kind of Crows fan. And he goes, oh, I'm sure they're here because that's probably why they were there. And he actually uh, pointed them out to me, which I'll just say now, because this is one of my favorite parts of the story, mm. is that, because um, I wouldn't have known, right? It, it's weird because of this kind of pseudo VIP thing. Uh, not only was it kind of open because it was such a small show, but I mm. guess they actually gave me, and this comes up later, they actually gave me like a, a pass that said like VIP, not just a lanyard. I have that too. Right. But they also, because that was like promotional, like, oh, everybody gets this lanyard. But I also got another thing on my hand that said like VIP. And Graham even said something to me. He goes, well, isn't, it seems like they're just giving this to everybody. Well, I found out later they didn't, and I'm not mm. sure why I got one. If if I might have followed somebody who was a VIP, maybe they're maybe, fans. Of, maybe they're fans of the show. <laughs> they're fans of Sullivan Street. Um, but but yeah. So so I could have went up there. But one interesting thing is we pointed out. He goes, oh, but in case you're curious, that that's where Cindy Crawford is. And I looked at her in the back. I said, oh wow, that is Cindy Crawford. Is she was the number one supermodel when I went to college, same time mm-hmm. as when the Counting Crows were big. So, um, and I always thought she was, you know, a great supermodel, but the best part about Cindy Crawford being there. And uh, this came up a little later is that Adam must've known now, whether they talk later or before, or because I don't think you would notice her from the stage, even though it wasn't that far away, but during the line of Mr. Jones, she's perfect for you. There's got to be somebody for me he points at Cindy Crawford, which nobody, <laughs> but nobody got that unless you knew that she was there and you wouldn't have known that she was there. But Just she, an inside joke. Yes. And, but when he did it, he was hugging and winking at Dan. Like, hey, <laughs> like basically, because Dan, you know, right? He's just like, like hugging Dan and, hey, she, she's perfect for you, Dan. Cindy Crawford's perfect for you. <laughs> As I'll mention later, I actually got to talk to Dan a little bit and he was very happy I told him that story because he remembered kind of Adam going out of his way to sing that line and kind of hug him while doing it. But he did not know that Cindy Crawford was in the audience. <laughs> it was just and for that, Yeah. So I do. It so was Dan just gave, for Adam. It was yep, just for Adam. It was just for Adam. Or maybe he would have mentioned it to Dan later. But Dan told me he did not know at the time. So that, that, was, that, that was pretty cool. And it was fun, kind of funny to see. Cindy, I didn't look at her that much, but a couple times it looks like she got into. I mean, she knew the singles. I don't think she's yeah. a hardcore fan, but it was kind of neat to see her get into like Rain King. And um, I'm not sure about hanging around. I forgot if she was still there. So, how close um, were you? Were you like in? Were you 
pretty close because yeah, I'm a small room, so it's yeah, probably it's worth even, fighting for the front. But I'm telling you, it felt even smaller than 500, and maybe 100 could fit at the top. It just felt like it was like a 300. So I guess I think I saw me on one of the video. I, you know, I was in front of Dan on. I was on the. I usually I'm on the Bryson side. Mm. This time I was on the Dan side, and I want to say I was like third or fourth row. But the interesting thing is that, so I think I told you on the Ireland show, I was probably the closest ever. I think I was officially second row, but I was right in the front. Like I was second Mm. row right in front of Adam. I could have had first row if I moved over a bit, general admission. But the interesting thing about this Troubadour show, there's no gap between the audience and the stage. Right. It's like stage. It's right. Yeah. a club venue, right? Like you're basically yeah. pressed up against the stage. So I guess if I was officially third row or fourth row in front of Dan, it still felt that even though he wasn't that close, that like Adam, that almost like could touch Adam, even though that's not true. But you were like, physically closer than again. If, yes, like Jones Beach last night, right? Like there's a there's a gap between the stage. So I yeah. was second row, but yeah, I could have theoretically been, and there was actually kind of a gap between the first row and even the the rail. So I was pretty close, but if I've been close to the general admission venue before, it's been a yep. bit, but um, that's much closer to them. That's much more like viscerally. Yeah, I felt that tight, I could you know. touch his guitar. I'm not sure that I actually could or thought of it. You know what I mean? But I'm just saying it felt that way uh, of Dan's guitar that I was that close to him and you could see, you know, whatever. I, I mean, I guess I could see it in Ireland, but you know, you, you almost felt, <laughs> I don't know, the, the sweat from Adam's forehead right, was magnified yeah. as he was as he was running around. So so that was, you know, I had, we can talk about the set list in, 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 in a bit. Um, it's funny you mentioned about the Adam moment. There was a, you know, it's funny. You, I want to make con, you know, you want to kind of make eye contact a couple times when you're that close, just to say like, I definitely know Adam Durrett saw me. Like he, it wasn't just, he looked in my direction. We made yeah. eye contact. And I want to say I made eye contact with him 10 times. And when I did, even though when I'm really in the zone, it was so happy because it was such a, a unique and special show, rare show. I almost feel after I, if I make eye contact them with a second or two, I almost look away because I feel like guilty a little bit that I'm getting too much Adam attention. I know it's not about me, but you know what I mean? Like I'm almost like, no, I don't want to make him feel like I'm staring at him or something like that. So a couple seconds yeah. is cool. And then I almost, uh, but I feel the same way about even mouthing the lyrics sometimes when you're that close, because I know on a couple of those shows, like when the suite came out that I knew almost like so much about the suite compared to Mm -hmm. the people around me and where you kind of want to enjoy him singing it, but then you kind of want to sing along. And part of me wants to show him that yes, people do know the suite and love it, but then you don't want to come across as some, you know, wild, you know, stalker either. So he knows the words too. So I think he's okay with you knowing the words. (laughs) No. And I try, I always try to sing, I'm very conscious of this because I have kind of a loud voice. I try to be very careful about like mouthing words unless yeah. he's basically demand. Like if we're all screaming, yeah, in Mr. Jones, I can, I will sing that full voice, you know, but I will try to be very. Yeah. Um, a lot of times I end up mouthing them without actually saying them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Sometimes it's, it's that quiet. Yeah. That's what, that's what I'm doing or I'm just, yeah, not even. And so we can see, so I almost want to show yeah. like, know this song and I love this part, but I want to hear you sing it, not me. Right. That's part of it too, right? Is you do want to let, I mean, 
if you if you love the counting if you love counting crows, you probably love hearing what Adam Duritz does to songs. And so, yeah, you want to expect like, yeah, I'm curious how he's going to sing this tonight. But there is one part near the, which cracked me up that um, there were definitely a couple times he looked at me in some lyrics, and there were some lyrics that hit a little more. I'll talk about what song I thought was excellent. But the one that cracks me up is he definitely stared at me the entire time, and it was just me when he said, "We spend all day getting sober." <laughs> <laughs> um, on the hanging around, like watch, you know, uh, hiding from daylight, watching TV. And, All right, um, how many drinks did you have, Eric? And, and I, it's funny because no, I basically do not drink anymore, <laughs> and I did not drink during that show. But certainly, I spent a lot of time in my twenties, early thirties, being hungover. Unfortunately, I tend to get bad hangovers compared to my friends, even if I don't drink too much. So I was like, okay, I'm seen. He recognizes this. He recognizes <laughs> how many days I lost. He uh, somehow you know. understands me. I... Yeah, exactly. But it was funny because it wasn't just for a second. That was the whole line. I was like almost embarrassed. I was like, how does he know that? <laughs> um, so, okay. So did, um, I just wanted to make sure I, okay. Uh, well, I'll talk about talking to a couple of band members, but, but we'll, Let's get into, because you did get to hear the um, songs. There was 15 15 songs, which was uh, five, as we said, five songs shorter than usual. I think that was clearly, I don't think that was, and I know Adam said he was recovering from COVID. It kind of hinted that it was thrown together pretty quickly. Um, We could question the set list, but I think the 15 songs were clearly, um, that was an agreement ahead of time. Like it was a perfect, yeah. Yeah, they basically played about 90 minutes. And it's interesting, the the serious, for whatever reason, the serious like listing showed an hour and then they blew past that. And I was like, because I, I thought they were going to cut the show down yeah. initially when I started listening to it because I knew it was longer than an hour. But yeah, it's, they clearly were, yeah, it's a, it's a shorter show. They What they also very clearly did was cut out acoustic songs, I guess on the assumption of it's a club and it's chatty, you know, you never know and it's, it's, you just you probably want to plow ahead and, and play kind of a louder set. Yep. So and um, a little bit more like the way they play maybe a festival. Yeah, and he said that's why there's going to be no encore. Did they did they keep the banter in the I wanted to ask you. They cut they cut if there was any banter there was one line of before butterfly in reverse and that was about it. So okay. if there was banter that may have been one thing they did cut out. Okay, and there wasn't a lot of it, but they did say, oh, one thing we didn't talk about, which was so interesting, we t- talked about the venue, is that, um, let's see if I get this correct, that Dan's guitar stopped working during Goodnight Elizabeth. Oh. Which was the first song, right? Yep. That's so the instrumental part, oh no, sorry, Emmy's, it was Emmy's guitar. Emmy's guitar went out during Goodnight Elizabeth. So... If I remember correctly, they extended Dan's part, or they were. They, it, it's a. I, if I remember correctly, it was, it's a little longer version than mm. it should have been because they were tr- hoping to get Emmy's guitar back <laughs> working. working, and it was the first song, and you could almost see them like annoyed, and then almost kind of laughing about it, and then it. But it didn't get fixed right away. It it took a couple minutes. They couldn't figure out what was going on. At least it felt like a couple minutes, like two or three or maybe even longer. So yeah, yeah. if I remember correctly, right. They, and they brought uh, right at the end of that song and these guitar um, started working again. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And I will say, I love that song as a, as an opener. I, I, you know, I like, it's a thing that only this band would do or very few other bands certainly would do 
that we're going to play a concert that's going to be broadcast on a radio station. And we are going to open with a slow song that's tr- that we play for 11 minutes or so yep. that includes a... <laughs> You yep. know, includes a, a Velvet Underground song in the middle. I just love the like, e- again, even when they, they play that song a lot, but it was still like, hey, I, I love that. I think it's so cool as an opener and the way it kind of sets a tone. And just to be like, yeah, we're doing a radio show, but we're opening with an 11 minute song. It's <laughs> it's still them. You know? Yeah. So, oh, is, is, yeah. If, if it was about 11 minutes. Right. So if it was, my guess is that it would have been a seven minute song and then it got extended four minutes because. Oh, they, no, they, because usually, they might have been 12, might have been 13 or 14 then. If, yeah. If that's the case, because because it's if you look at set at the times on on Nugs, you can, as you know, it generally clocks in 10, 11 minutes at this point. OK. OK. Interesting. Um, if I could. Do I have any comments about the actual performance and set list? I'll just mention a couple. I guess as someone who saw them a couple times in 2022, not, not too much um, stood stood out. Except I I do want to say I thought I don't know how it came across in when you heard it, but at least being there, I thought clearly the best performance was recovering the satellites. So not only do I love that song, but they were just into it. Something about it just seemed hmm. the energy of that song was, and it's interesting because again, that's obviously not a single or or right. anything, but the way they played it. Um, I, anyway, and even Graham, now I know he likes that album, but he felt the same thing I did during that song. Um, one, he didn't feel as much, you know, he, I know he doesn't really love the suite. Now, one interesting, I guess I want to say, I thought Bobby and the Rat Kings was great. Now you said something about that. They could end the song. I wish that I could put that. Bobby, I could I could have that. I could see that in an encore. Maybe yes, I wouldn't end with it. But. And it is such. I mean, this is one of my soapboxes. But Bobby and the Rat Kings is such a great live song. If you let it be a great live song to you, uh, it, because it's kind of fun. You know, it has the the interesting the dun, dun, dun. and then I mean, don't forget for hardcore Crows fans, if that's whether that's your favorite song or not. It's about being like obsessed with a, with a band yeah. and that they'll make you and you can escape all your troubles, even though, you know, it's not going to escape your troubles uh, for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's it's a fun and I'll bring this up some other time. But but I we did it a little bit in the UK show. There were there were some fans around me that really were into them. But when it goes like that, and if you. If 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 the whole audience knew like to clap at the right thing, you can clap at the the. Uh, oh, that yeah. yeah. And I, a couple, a bunch of us did it at some of the shows, and it it brings even more energy to it. it it's really a lot of fun. I wish uh, we could start something. I feel with like the, the UK crowds are going to be better at that. Every time yeah. I listen to boot, it's like the Irish crowd. Like in Ireland, they're going to get yep. the, they're going to get that clapping just right. Yeah, they did, and it, 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 it and it of even added did. more to the show. Um, the you one know, thing I wanted to ask you, yeah. just in looking down at the set list here, um, what was the crowd like for Colorblind? Because when I've been in general admission venues the last couple of years, the talking during Colorblind is brutal. Um, and I was curious if in in a, in a room like this, if that carried over. Um, Luckily, no. I think that – but I think you're right. I think it's just that this particular audience – 
kind of knew it was a VIP show and they were pretty, yeah. they, there wasn't a lot of nonsense going on. And, and I don't think there were like casual fans, right? You either had to be connected right. to Sirius and you kind of thought it was special or you were in that 150 or 200 that bought tickets online in the first right. five minutes. So you didn't have the drunk guy on a Friday night. Although sometimes no. industry shows, sometimes you do get that thing of like, yes, there are a bunch yes, of people who yes. are not, not fans, fans and, they're, and they're here because their boss told them to go or whatever. But I'm guessing again, maybe in a really small place like that, people were heads up enough to go like, no. I should shut up right now. Yep. <laughs> no, that's, I think you're right. At least it didn't strike me. The, um, the only other thing I do want to mention, because this will come up when I talk about missed opportunities that long December was a bit of a treat, partly because he mentions Hollywood. A couple times. I'm actually a sucker for playing the song of the, you know, that closely or at least mentions, right? Crows songs love to mention place. And when they mention, like I said, like watching a DC show and they mentioned the Chesapeake Bay. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, The the crowd loved that 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 he mentioned, uh, you know, Hollywood a few times in long December. Did you notice anything else about that? I remember you said that you thought the performance came across pretty well. Yeah, that sounded great. It got me excited for the tour. I was like, oh, I'm ready. I'm 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 ready to go see them now. I'm feeling uh this it sounded good. I thought I thought, you know, Adam was talking about his voice because he'd been sick a little bit, apparently. Yes, yes, he said it was a non-COVID good. illness. Um oh yeah, Miami was also good. Um yeah, I I I had also a mark that hanging around in Miami were also pretty good, but but nothing yeah. Um, or, I mean, Miami, of course, is a good crescendo. I mean, that used to be one of my favorite songs to see live. I guess I've seen it so much now that I'm not as ex- as excited about it. But yeah. clearly, it's a good concert song. Even for casual fans, I think Miami is also a song that even people that don't know Miami like it to hear it live. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of – it's a there's a great dynamic to it as a live – there's a reason why they play it a lot. It is a, is a real dynamic to it. I was actually thinking – I have a note in here. I was apparently thinking about this while I was listening to that, that show. Miami and Sullivan Street are kind of similar sentiments. Oh. They're kind of songs about knowing, like, a sense of foreboding in a relationship. Like, being within a relationship and knowing it will end. It's kind of oh. what Miami's about. Kind, yeah. Pretty much what Sullivan Street's about. I just never, I just I had never made that connection before, and I just had this note that note here while I was listening to that. Um, so, I, so yeah, I, I think a good a, a good show. You'd and again, I, I think they were probably a little restricted on. Hey, we're playing this for the radio. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I guess the only thing I want to say, but again, you said if they're only going to play fifteen songs, it restricts the set list even more. Um, and if he really was, it, it did look by the way that he was recovering from an illness. It, it mm. just came across that way, even though he sang well, if you just looked at him, not that he looked bad, but he looks like someone who had recovered from a few days ago, right? Someone, yeah. as you said, about 60 years old. Uh, so I did believe that. So maybe they didn't get to prepare too much. They probably wouldn't have done maybe, I think you even said they probably wouldn't have done additional preparation anyway, but because it was such a, yeah special venue and maybe people wanted something more for heart. It, it certainly was not a set list that like, this was the most amazing private shim sham show and they did stuff that they never did. And it was so, sp- no, it was kind of this, I guess, you know, maybe in some ways generic, typical of, of what they've been playing, but just to kick off the tour. And I'm fine with that. I do think though, that especially because he used to live in LA and he mentioned that a couple of times and he used mm-hmm. to live in Hollywood, right? There should have been 
it would have been cool if you put one, just one bonus song in there for the show. And I think I wrote you and said, like, he could have done Goodnight L.A. He could have done Elvis Went to Hollywood. Los he Angeles. He could have done Los Angeles. And what I forgot about until yesterday, there's also a, um, which I wouldn't expect him to sing this, but there was one of the unreleased tracks from Saturday Night, Sunday Mornings, or bonus tracks. Sunday Morning L.A.? Sunday morning LA. So if yeah. he had played one of those, that would have been a big, that would have been a real deep cut. Yeah. I'm not sure they've ever played that song. No, um, but, but you know, even, adding... I was thinking about like in, um, in, I wish I was a girl. Um, I'm going oh, down to Hollywood. Yes, right? yes, I'm yes, going down to yes. Hollywood. They're going to make a movie that could have been, you could have done that. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. There, there was maybe more opportunity to yeah. have kind of a little and, bit more and, of a like Hollywood greedy. moment. I'm not greedy. I would have just wanted one of those, you know, <laughs> for like for the hardcore fans. I want right? all like, of them. I'm going to write this set list tonight. I, I was ready for Elvis went to Hollywood. So, um, yeah, so that that was um, so my only other thoughts are about that. I talked to a few band members. Do you have any other thoughts about the show or any questions? I guess. No, right? no. I, well, I, I guess I'm curious. So so because I, I can't I, I've never been the troubadour. I've been in lots of small venues, but I've never I've never been there. I'm I'm trying to imagine. So you're close to the stage, yes, right? And then you you said you end up sort of in kind of like a VIP area. Oh yeah, well that that's how does the, that okay, work? Right. What, what, so what, you like, walk like, in, paint me a picture. You yeah. Know? So you walk you walk in the little um, which I guess I missed it. Okay. So you walk in the front door, and immediately on the left there's a bar, but that's but that is almost like segregated from. If you're in that bar, you I don't think. I don't think there's a window there. If you're in that bar, you wouldn't be watching the show. Like that's mm-hmm. almost just like the Troubadour bar. And maybe that's even open when they're not. So I don't know. So then you walk into the little hallway and you go up and up and then the stage is in front. Uh, sorry. And then uh, the stage would be on the right hand side then. So when, as soon as you enter, the stage is on the right. So you kind of have to go um, you know, to the left of it. Uh, right. So so if, if you just parked yourself if you just got into this right in, right in there, and you stood right there, you'd be to the right of Bryson. Okay. If you just walked straight and stopped. Uh. So. 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 Yeah. And then I don't know how far deep it goes back. Maybe only eight people deep, and then only is enough to like cover the stage almost. There's not, and the stage is very condensed. That's the other thing. Yeah, you almost all you could almost see it pretty crowded up there with all of Charlie's setups and the drum, um, and they have a pretty large band, right? So that was kind of set up. Well, that's I will say another set list restrictor for them. I I feel like I've seen them talk about this somewhere. It's a similar, weirdly, a similar problem with festivals, although kind of a different thing. But when you right. got when you lack space or you're uh, they're troubled on what they can bring in. They use so many different guitars. Yes, yes. That if if you're like, look, we're only going to bring three guitars in because it would be insane to bring the whole thing for like when we don't have the space. That's also going to be a set list restrictor for them because yep. they just it means their songs they just have to cross out because we don't have space for one more guitar to add. So no, that's, that's- going to kind of cut them, you know, cut out the list yeah. a little bit. No, that's right. And if you watch any of the videos of it, there is some online. Again, I could be wrong about this, but to me, it felt like it only went like eight to 10 people deep. Like it was not that, you know, and I don't know how many wide. And then right behind that, there is a second bar, okay. which is actually a pretty big bar. And that and that's the bar that there's, um, you know, I think you I think you can walk around the whole bar if I remember correctly. So it's a second bar. Then, um, but also when you originally walk in, you're to the right of the stage and if you walk just a little bit to the left, there are stairs going up into okay. a balcony. 
So you go to the balcony and that's where the sound equipment is, right? The mixer, I guess, and, and stuff like that. That's where the engineers are. And there's a balcony to watch the show that only goes a couple deep. I guess in one part, there's like four or five deep. And on the right side of that, that's where Cindy Crawford was. Mm-hmm. And you go, and on the left side of the balcony is where the, um, the band rooms are. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the band prepares. Uh, and it is funny right before they got on stage, they closed the blinds and everything. Maybe mm-hmm. they wanted to talk about the set list or something <laughs> before while people were still staring at them because they knew they were going to come down soon. Um, but to, so that's to the left of the balcony mm-hmm. to the right of the balcony. There's a third bar. So there's, there's I, was, I swear there's almost as much bar space in the Troubadour as there is a place to stand to watch the show. Both of them being very small. Yeah. So I almost didn't even realize that third bar was there for some reason. I guess during a show, because that was kind of behind Cindy. I guess I kind of noticed it when I looked up at Cindy Crawford. Um, but yeah, when I first walked up, when I first got there, I walked to the balcony because I thought, oh, this is just some fun. Well, I guess that was kind of a VIP place. Now, that time they didn't actually check my ticket. I think they just assumed that <laughs> I, I had one. Um, so, so I do want to say before wrapping up the review that I was – able to meet uh fairly briefly a couple of the band members which i already hinted about so um when i got to the troubadour before i stood in line i noticed um maybe there was more of them but i noticed jim and charlie talking to people outside it was very casual um i'm guessing a lot of the people at the show if they were kind of serious xm employees or something they might not even know that they're in the band right you might not know um so there I actually, in char- uh, yeah, I got to talk to Jim a bit. Um, yep, I won't say much, except that I talked to him about a few things and even mentioned uh, the podcast to him. Charlie, I couldn't talk to. Char- so Charlie, I saw three times and I did make small talk to him at the one time. I probably could have talked to him more, but I, I, he seemed to be there with, let's just say, I'm pretty sure wife and their friends, maybe mm-hmm. mutual friends. And I kind of didn't want to interrupt, even though he seemed like he actually would have been open to it. I just kind of got guilt that came up over me. Um, <laughs> Jim, I actually talked to also after the show quickly. Um, and in fact, to be honest, I was going to talk to Charlie once and I didn't, but that actually, because of that, I didn't get to talk to some of the other band members. But right before I left, I checked out that third bar, which I was told, oh, you actually have to, that's where you definitely have to show your VIP ticket. And I did, and they let me in. And Dan was there talking to Uh, people that clearly I think he knew from before, like a group of six. Mm. And then um, about when I was leaving, I kind of made brief high. And then we actually talked uh, for quite a few minutes. And that's where I told him the Cindy Crawford thing. And Dan was so nice. And he was open to talking to more, uh, more, I think. But I actually felt uh, guilty because my feeling, I was taking him away from his friends. So so I just said, I'm going to go. Thank you even for uh, chatting to me for for a bit. So that, that was always great. Um, yeah, Dan is someone who I never met. Uh, mm-hmm. I had, and Charlie, I even never said hi to. I think every other band member, uh, maybe Millard's the only one now, I never said anything to. But uh, So anyway, it's always a dream come true. The whole experience was really cool. And after I came back from that show, Chris was the one that said, um, you know, Eric, you got me thinking. I wonder how that show compares, you know, the Counting Crows in a small venue in Hollywood, that's not the first time they've done it, even though it's been decades. Uh, let's look at a similar show to how much the Crows have changed over 30 years. And the one we agreed upon was 
I think it's only a mile away, is a place called Whiskey A Go Go. And it's a similar capacity, 500, mm-hmm. 500 people. And they played there in March 1994. So almost exactly 30 years ago. What is it? 29 and a half. 29, yeah. And um, we both listened to that show. So one thing I do want you to talk about, at least your thoughts, um, mm-hmm. before we get into the Whiskey A Go Go show. In this podcast, we are going to talk about prior shows mm-hmm. and listen to them and review is there an easy way for our listeners to listen to these shows if they uh, want to relive some of the same things that we are? Sure. The best way is to go to uh, Crow's Town. Um, and I'll make sure I get the web address correctly. Um, CR Crow's, the way you would spell Crow's, dash town.com. Um, that is, it used to be, uh, I guess it's still a message board. Uh, it used to be a very active message board um, and place where people traded uh, Counting Crows tapes. Um, the band's always been open taping and always been very open about that and letting people tape and trade them, um, as long as it's not for profit. And uh, a few years ago, I and a couple of other people, Sandra from um, uh, from the, the Netherlands and a couple other people, we put together as big an archive as we could, as we noticed the torrents were kind of winding down, or at least the torrent community was kind of winding down. And we put together as big an archive as we could. And we think we have pretty much everything that is available and able to be traded around. Um, And you can go on, if you go on Crow's Town, become a member um, and make a request to join our file share group. You can do that. And you can check out um, that whole, the whole archive. And it's broken up by years. Um, and we've got some video stuff as well, but a a lot of tapes. Um, and so I went back, part of it was this, it's interesting. I went back first, I looked and see if we had anything from the Troubadour and it's interesting in the Sirius XM interview that aired before the show played the, the interviewer said, it doesn't look like you ever played the Troubadour. And Adam's like, I'm positive. We played the Troubadour at some point for something, but no one can find a record of it. He's like, I know it happened, but I'm like, Oh. I can't find anything. I'm I'm with I'm with the, the, the host. <laughs> I can't find anything. So I'm I believe Adam, but it must have been something that was a small thing or something that was just so and just for whatever reason kind of lost to the winds of time. So we went back um, on this '94 tour. This is March of 1994. Um, this show came out as a a bootleg that was sold around. It was called Suddenly Beautiful. And that's oh, wow. why I picked this one mostly because I think that the sound quality was quite good. Um, they played after that two nights at the Roxy as well. Um, I picked, and a part of it was I also picked it. I just I was like, well, they played two nights at the Roxy, and it's hard to pick between them. So I'm just going to pick the Whiskey A Go Go show because they're all at this stage of the game, right? Yeah. Uh, they were playing a pretty similar set list each night because they only had so many songs. Um, but every show is kind of interesting and different. And they were really playing around with the songs in a lot of ways. So it's kind of worth uh, checking out. Um, and so, yeah, our thought was like, let's listen to a club show from Hollywood from the beginning. Also, because we, you know, we had just talked about August and everything after. Yes. All the way through. And so it was really interesting to listen to they play almost all of August on this show. Yes. Um, so it was really interesting to go back and listen to the live versions, like a March 1994, a time capsule of the way those songs sounded at that point. Great. No, you're exactly right. So do we, uh, I get, there are four, well, one interesting thing is that, gosh, was it 14 or 15? But the, the, we just said that nowadays on their tour, they play about 20 songs. Mm-hmm. 
in this quote unquote classic show, they played about 15. So yep. which was so the set list uh, number was similar to the quote unquote abbreviated Troubadour show. Right. They so, opened th- both shows with Goodnight Elizabeth. Oh, that's true. Thank you. I knew there was something else. Well, and that kind of and that's worth saying because Recovering the Satellites had not been out yet, but they played two Recovering the Satellite songs, right? Goodnight Elizabeth right. and Children in Bloom. And Children yep. in Bloom was very similar to the album, uh, the eventual album version. Yeah. I really um, like the 94 versions of Goodnight Elizabeth. They're all they're still pretty similar to the album, but I really like how Adam sings them in the 94 versions. He is just the vocal of, of, of what he's bringing out of himself on that song is I, I highly recommend checking out some of those. Yep. And I and I and I learned a little bit from reading the Canon Crows book, which we'll talk about later, that I didn't realize. And, and it makes sense listening to this, how much that, that they, they did have some material ready to go for recovering the satellites before they put themselves in the in the house uh, to uh, to 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 record it. Um, so let's hear some of your other thoughts. I mean, one. I have mostly good things to say. I, you know, I, there are two things that did kind of crack me up a little bit mm-hmm. listening to this. One is that it definitely highlighted what I call mopey Adam a little mm-hmm. bit. That yeah. that I forgot that he. I don't know how to describe it. He had some. It's it's like what some people didn't like. About, I mean, I always loved Adam in his singing, but what some people didn't like about him back then, maybe some of my peers, that oh, he sounds like he's whiny and always. I don't know. Before emo was even a thing, I guess pseudo emo. Did you did you get that um, impression at all? Listening? Yeah. To that? Well, I mean, that's um, and you can hear it again because he, he used to play around with the words a lot, right? That's and that's you could definitely always tell Adam's mood from that stuff. Yeah. Um, he the 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 line in Mr. Jones is every time I look at the television, I've got to see me. Yeah, staring right back at me. Uh, did you, by the way, catch in Mr. Jones? He says, "I want to be Charles." I could not make it out. Charles something. I want to be Charles. Mm, and I, I could not understand yes, what you're saying. And I forgot. I think I noticed it the first time, and I want to listen to it yesterday. I did not catch that. Yeah. But. Um, um, but in the same way, he t- he talks about how the the record has turned gold, which of course okay. it would, it would oh, later yeah. go platinum and many times platinum. Yes, yeah. He says, and it's uh, we're celebrating that August has turned gold, and for the weirdness and misery that comes with that. <laughs> that that's funny. So did, did you? I I you know. As I remember I did not see them until the Desert Life tour. So mm-hmm. as someone that didn't listen to them, and again, it's been thirty years. And of course, he's younger and everything. One thing we just. This kind of got verified, but you're enjoying the concert last night. I do think that when they play these older songs, they do play them better now. It's not; it was still fun to listen to this version. It's and, different. And, and I think they're different. different. It, de- it depends on the song, and I think it depends on, um, yeah, like I love like um how they do like the, the early Sullivan Streets, like Adams, that and like Elizabeth. There's it's different, right? Oh, okay, it's right. I was so much out yeah, of himself. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? No, that, that, and, that's true. They do certainly, the arrangements are better. They play the songs. Certainly, there's more, they have more guys. The, more, the arrangements tend to be more interesting on these things. So, yeah, there's like a, a kind of a push and pull on some of these songs where there's a, a certain rawness to the early versions that can be kind of endearing. Yes. But then yes. you're also like, it's pretty cool what they do on Sullivan Street now. Like, it's, it's so, they, and I think some songs you can go better or worse. And I think some songs, different periods over the course of 30 years, we'll talk about more, but like there's better and more exciting periods for those songs. But yeah, um, no, yeah, it, I thought of you because I did think the time and time again in the 94 was particularly good. 
Yeah. Uh, and, I thought the you, version of Four White Stallions, too, particularly was re- I I just my note just like this version of Stallion slays. That's yes. my note. I was like, yeah, so it that's really it. killed that. Yeah, right. So and I, I was surprised that they even played that. I actually thought, again, in my mind, they didn't play that until the Hard Candy Tour, which I did not realize they played that even back in 94. Uh, yeah, well, that's the, the story is always they needed those songs to fill out the set. So uh, okay. Four White Stallions, Mercy, which they played some. I don't think they played on this show. Not on that one, um, but- they played but Wise yeah, Blood and Marjorie. Mar, yeah, my, they played Wise. They played Mar, Marjorie is also. That's also one of those interesting songs that um, I know. That's if they ever do did do an expanded version of recovering the satellites. That is one of the songs I'd be really interested to hear what they recorded of Marjorie because they've always said they love that song and they just realized something was not right right about that song. But yeah. I, it's still a great tune. I, um, I hope I hope it gets recorded too. Um, but then it's interesting when you see Wise Blood, which I guess is a cover. It's interesting that that cover didn't make their cover album, right? Most, no, they didn't. Do, the, yeah. So I'm not sure why, yeah. but that was a song that they played quite a bit, right? Wise Blood, and then yeah, in those early yeah. years, but that didn't make. Um, yeah, you know what they they're, they're all from Danzel. Yeah. That, that's the three. It's Wise yes. Blood, Mercy, and Four White Stallions are all from the band that became called Tender Mercies when they actually yes. released a record and it was like 2011 or 2012. Yep. I actually saw that one of the couple of the shows I saw on that tour, op- they Tender Mercies opened. Oh, for the band, um, which was cool with Jim playing drums. Which I think was a later. I don't think Jim played with them in '94, but um, part of the San Francisco community. But um, yep. Patrick Winningham is the guy. Who okay. Charlie had played with and Dan had played with and was the guy where Adam felt bad. He's like, I basically stole, I killed this guy's dream. I stole his band and then I stole his songs. <laughs> Do you? That's funny. When we were talking about this with Holiday in Spain. One, one, um, and I felt it again last night or this morning. One thing I thought when listening to this is how much I miss them closing shows with Murder of One. Yeah, that's that is one of the things they the I like the way holiday end shows, but yeah, murder with this the the uh, the alts in this or happy birthday baby uh, was an interesting kind of yeah. uh, even if they just did it sometimes. And I know somebody else says, which I'd love to hear them do walkaways. Sometimes I mean, just walkaways would be a nice one. Yeah, it, 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 it would it wouldn't take it wouldn't take too much to do walkaways. Yeah. Oh, when you mentioned about Good Night Elizabeth, what really surprised me was the. Is that in Rain King? Yeah, they mentioned Goodnight Elizabeth. I couldn't believe. I actually had. I was shocked by that. The end. He uh, in that tour a lot. The end of of Rain King is Goodnight Elizabeth. I'm so sorry now because yep. I'm the Rain King. And again, um, I thought that that they brought that in the Hard Candy tour. <laughs> that, that's that, that shows you what I didn't know about the band. Yeah, there's actually I had forgot, totally forgotten about this too. They use uh, "Sweet Thing," the Van Morrison song, which later became a very common alt in Round Here. Oh, in Rain King a little bit in this, which I I totally I, I blanked on that one. Um, so I was listening, I was like, oh shoot, there there's that. Um, which I actually think works better. I thought that worked better in Rain King than it does in Round Here. Is my kind right. of take on that one but um but a good show i mean again it's it's the interesting thing about those shows the 94 shows is that they're also subtly different they're it's the same set of songs pretty much with some variations because they've only got so many songs but i think adam's talked about this that he used to be so intent on like getting out how he felt that day on stage right really the shows could be could vary really widely based on his mood 
which I'm sure was super fun for the band sometimes, but, <laughs> um, you know, that there is something that's, I think what's interesting about those early shows is like, you can kind of pull any of them and you'll get a very, you'll get a similar show, but you'll get a very different vibe. Again, especially that August tour. It's a, just, and, they're all over the place. And I'm assuming, cause this kind of caught my eye. I'm assuming that Emmy was not with nope, them, yeah, even though it was right. in Hollywood. And that's why I think on that Omaha, when that little like, you know, mandolin part usually comes, mm-hmm. when Emmy comes out and plays that mandolin, that's not, that's, that's missing. Yeah. from this version because Emmy wasn't there because I think Emmy did play the mandolin on the studio version. That makes sense. Yeah, even right. though he wasn't a member of the band, I think that's, I know he played in some songs on August and I think Omaha as the mandolin was one of them. Um, the, my only last observation and this kind of, it, it, it's because Adam actually mentions it, how like, dr- dr- I mean, I understand it's in Hollywood and they're how drunk and obnoxious the crowd was. Mm. Even they were listening, but also obnoxious. Like you could tell they were big fans of the band. And I was like, geez, I forgot that my generation can be good. Was like really annoying. All, like, yeah, yeah. Like they, I think did that more than other generations about um, like kind of sometimes interrupting singers. And as you said, um, yelling there at, a, at there was a dude last night. I will say that even thirty years later, there's a dude last night screaming for Thunder Road. Oh, there's always like you <laughs> always know, a guy, always someone. there's always a guy. And with and I don't know if this relates to the drunk thing, but the one other thing that stood out and it also tied to the crowd is that um, that you know how like the the crowd, depending on the timing of the song, mm. is trying to anticipate what he's going to say or might start singing the chorus before them. Right. The one song that they were singing the chorus on and the timing was off, what cracked me up was actually Perfect Blue Buildings. Because mm. you don't sing, that's not a song that you would think that the crowd would want to sing the chorus, even if they know the song really well. And it kind of reminded me of like you with, I don't know, like what you're saying with colorblind, like you wouldn't expect like the crowd to be like, I am colorblind, you know, yeah. or whatever. But, but the crowd um, is really, yeah. that's like, the crowd is so, it's, yeah, it's probably a weird moment for them because they're blowing up, but they're still in clubs, which are really, you talk about like the Troubadour with the three bars, right? Yeah. The clubs are trying to sell booze. That's true. Right? That's really. That's how they like, make their money. Yeah. There's a distinction. The Crows very naturally fit as a theater band. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. That they are, that's their sort of vibe. But they were in a 500 person club and selling booze, and people were having a good time listening to the songs they hear on the radio. But also a bunch of them loving Perfect Blue Buildings, and you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even though it was not a single, as you said, people knew and bought people the album bought the and, record, right? Yeah. And so that's okay. the thing: people had to buy the record at that point. They had to. They wanted to hear the song again. They had to buy the record. They listened to the whole thing, and some of them liked Perfect Blue Buildings. 500,000 exactly. people at that point apparently had bought the record because it had gone gold. So, And so I'll just say again, it is worth because uh, not every time, but on this podcast, we will be reviewing older shows. And so I do uh, welcome our audience to uh, make a Crow's Town account. Uh, again, crows-town.com. Mm-hmm. And to uh, once you get permission and yeah, you can be good to go. And I, th- I think it is a lot of fun that every month or every two months we'll revisit an old show and see what's changed, what's different, uh, what we miss, etc. So this was our main episode about the Banshee tour, but we will, even if it's just a short revisit, we will come back and talk after I have seen uh, both of my shows in mm-hmm. the LA area 
which is going to be in August. Uh, right. So about mid-August, we'll record maybe our part two of the Banshees uh, review. So, And next time we'll have a, we'll have a pretty special guest. So we'll yes, talk we'll about that. Guest next time. We'll keep that a, a surprise. So thank you, everyone, for listening and coming down to hang out with us here on Sullivan Street. Goodbye. Almost.